Welcome to the Money Morning Podcast. Today I thought I'd do something a little bit different. I've got our editorial director, Greg Canavan, here, and my buddy and mentor, Ryan Dintz. Now, Greg and Ryan have been working on a project for the last six or nine months, and I was hoping, Greg, you could tell us a bit more about this project. Yeah, no worries, Lockie. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the intro, mate. Um, I, the reason why we've been working on this for so long, it's I could say it's taken me uh, quite a while to get get my head around all, all the, um, I guess, the new developments that have been happening in, in the financial system. Uh, for anyone that may may know a bit of, bit of my background, uh, I'm, I'm sort of heavily into economics and the economics of the financial system. Uh, and for a long time, I've sort of had this view that the system is effectively broken and... What I mean by that is that the financial system as it stands with the US dollar as the world's reserve currency cannot effectively stand on its own two feet without some kind of stimulus or support. And this was evident after 2008 where you know we saw the global financial crisis. And ever since 2008, there's been consistent central bank support uh, and the few times that it has been removed or the central banks have tried to return to normality, there's been stresses in the system and the system started to started to break down share prices and the economy has come, come under pressure. So what, once the sort of COVID crisis hit and, and central banks were shown to be almost out of their ammunition and then governments came in with, with fiscal stimulus. So now we're seeing... Uh, the global economy is supported by fiscal stimulus as well as the running of you know quantitative easing in the background by all the all the central banks and it was it was around last year uh towards sort of you know when when the recovery was taking place Ryan and I had these discussions about the the i guess the uh the sick nature of the global financial system the fact that it cannot improve on its own two feet and, and in conjunction with that, I had this light bulb moment where I realised that that's that's why uh, all these new new money, new monetary system in the form of cryptos was was um, was being developed. And what sort of really turned the light on for me is that I, I stopped looking at cryptos purely from a price perspective, and I started looking at the underlying technology that cryptocurrencies effectively are. And it's the technology that gives the tokens or the coins their value. And when you look at the technology, which is distributed ledger technology, and we can talk about more about that later, I'm I'm assuming, you sort of, it opens up everything and you think, holy crap, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And, And when I say a lot of stuff going on, a lot of potential solutions to all these problems that the the traditional financial system is in this huge debt you know um middlemen money shufflers taking clipping the ticket as money moves around the economy so many uh so many problems can be solved by uh distributed ledger technology that i all of a sudden became you know really excited by it and ryan and i started talking about it and, and obviously ryan's an expert in that field so i was really asking him lots of questions about how crypto or how blockchain technology might do this or that. And then I so we got talking and we said, well, you know, this, this really should be something that we're talking to, to um, our clients about, you know, this is a, a new financial system at its very early stages and it's going to continue to grow. And in 10 years time, it's potentially going to be the dominant form of finance. So 
it's a story that we really should follow and it's a story that um, is worth examining on a sort of a more granular level than just cryptos, you know, there's there's so much more going on. So that's really the genesis of where um, that came from. And, and obviously, you know, it's it's six to nine months down the track and we've got a product out that uh, it's called New Money Investor and uh, it's going to talk about all these um all these issues from a big picture perspective as well as from a, uh, a specific perspective on, on what these coins actually do and the, the type of problems they can solve in, in, uh, in coming years. Well, that's a great summary, Greg. Ryan, you've been a crypto enthusiast for a very long time. And in those six to nine months, we've seen some crazy things happen. Yeah. We've seen the advent of CBDCs in the form of a digital yuan. And on top of that, We've seen a couple of regulatory developments that have uh, sort of taken a bite out of the Bitcoin price. For example, India threatened recently with legislation to ban crypto. There was a central banker in Korea who threatened to shut down all the exchanges in the country. I guess, what's your big picture beyond just your enthusiasm? And run me through why you and Greg are so enthusiastic about this right now. Yeah, so... For anyone who doesn't know me, I've, I've been um, involved in cryptocurrency since about 2013, 2014. So I've been in this space for a long, a long time. Um, and it's probably only in the last year where you've really seen cryptocurrencies truly start to hit mainstream. And by, by saying mainstream, I mean um, institutions, central banks, uh, regulators are all starting to take this seriously. You know, we had a bit of a, a boom in 2017 with prices, but, uh, you know, the JP Morgans of the world and everyone else was just saying, ah, it's just a fad, it won't last. They didn't really understand the technology and they probably underestimated the threat. And and this comes back to what Greg was saying about why we've been thinking about this subject for so long and so hard is that we seem to be a bit of a, a, bit of a crossroads where the world of money is either going to become more centralised or it's going to become more decentralized. Now, me and Greg are both believers in free markets. We, we believe in probably less government intervention. It's probably better in most circumstances than not. And we also see how dangerous it is when you've got central banks and regulators having so much control over money. And I'm sure the viewers today can feel the, the dangers of that tangibly themselves. They can see that in the middle of you know a huge global pan- pandemic where the world shut down, Stock markets are at record highs. Property prices have jumped up, you know, 30%. How does this make sense? You know, how, how, can, um, how can something which is meant to be bad economically cause markets to behave in such a strange way? And, you know, me and Greg are also both traders. So sometimes we just learn to go with the flow and, and, and trade, trade the opportunity. But I think what's missing out there in the world right now is an understanding of why this is the case. And the more uh, Greg and I looked at it is, it's all to do with money. It's all to do with how money is changing. And it's actually changing so much faster than what people realize. And so, as I said before, you've now got this, this battle between cent- the forces of centralization and the, the sort of free marketers, the forces of decentralization. And that's where you're talking about um, India saying they're going to ban cryptocurrencies or China going to ban it. Now, like I said, I've been in this space for eight years and these, these banned stories come up every <laughs> few months. And you might get a slight dip in, in prices when that happens. But if you look at the on-chain data, so with, with cryptocurrencies, they're built on a blockchain and you can actually study on-chain data. You can see for the last year or two, um, people have been basically buying Bitcoin and taking it off exchange. So 
So despite the stories and, and or bans and what else you have, there is a steady stream of buyers coming in and buying up Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and holding them. And I think we're at this stage of the sort of um, big picture where even banks and governments are hedging their bets almost. You've, you've got states in America, for example, like Wyoming, that are becoming very Bitcoin-friendly places to be. They're actually trying to encourage cryptocurrency business to come there, reducing taxes, things like that. I think Miami too. Yeah, Miami's trying to take the mantle from New York and, and San Francisco as the tech money hub. So people, when they say, oh, governments will ban it, they, they think there's this, this one government. But there's not. Governments are multi-layered. And at the end of the day, the thing to realize about governments in a lot of places in the world is that they're democratically elected, especially in the West um, and Australia. And politicians will follow the vote. And more and more people are buying cryptocurrencies because they believe in the the ide- ideology behind it, which is why should a certain bunch of unelected bureaucrats control money supply and cause all these financial dislocations. I know plenty of people are benefiting right now from a property boom and from a stock market boom. But even in their heads, I think people know that that's not right. Because if you're going to let um, people who control the money supply control the wealth, then that is just another form of financial socialism, which we know doesn't work out well. So I think uh, this is why this is such an important subject and why me and Greg have sort of come together on this. Because obviously, I see cryptocurrencies as part of this solution. And Greg sort of knew and probably articulated better than me why he thinks the current economic system is is fatally broken. So if, if we take those two viewpoints, we can see we're going to change. The financial system is going to change and money is going to change. And the question is, what is it going to change into? And I think that's why having both of us on this project, we can take a number of angles. And I think um, actually for me, explaining stuff to Greg has helped me look at uh, some of the concepts behind cryptocurrencies in more detail as well and help me flesh out some of those ideas. So um, hopefully the idea behind this new service will be, we'll explain what's happening, we'll take people on this journey, we'll, it will help make more sense of the world, it will also show us where we're going, and at the end of the day, if you're an investor, that's the kind of thing you need to know to help manage your investments. Well, Greg, I just wanted you to provide a bit of a capstone here. Um, the politics of money is going to be absolutely massive in the coming years. I was wondering if you could speak a bit more about the political dimensions to what we're seeing in this new money world. Yeah, I think Ryan touched on it with the the, the talk of centralization. And I think this is a really important concept for anyone interested in, in getting to know this space a little bit more, that that is effectively the, the context for what we're talking about here. So I guess the question is, what, what is centralization of money? Um, if you go back to, uh, let's say, pre-World War I, where, where gold was effectively money and gold coins in the hands of the people were considered was considered legal tender. There was also banknotes and all that sort of stuff. But at that time, we're on a gold standard and gold could be exchanged as, as, a, as a, you know, um, a unit of account, uh, money, all that sort of stuff. Post-World War I, uh, gold was... Um, I guess gold was banned in the in 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 the in the form of ownership um, or holding onto it or, or exchanging it, um, and then that was in the UK or in, in Europe at least. And then um, we got to the 1930s in the US, where you, everyone had to hand their gold in, and you couldn't you couldn't hold hold it as money anymore. So over time, gold went from being uh, money in the hands of the people and increasingly centralized in the banking system, and then the central banks. 
So gold was taken out of the financial system and replaced with uh, purely fiat currency or what we call a credit, a credit standard where banks would create money if you went to the bank and got a loan. Uh, the bank would create that money and it would flow through the economy. Then as that system started to break down, and as I said, you know, it broke down in 2008, central banks became uh, uh, under more control. So you went from having these big centralized banks based in New York or London or, you know, the, the financial centers of Europe or centralized really large banks to then the central banks, which are the, the banks of the, of the commercial banks, having the, the power to uh, monetize um, monetize existing debt through through QE. So this system became so centralized because the power of issuance was narrowed down into a into a few dominant um, powers that the system just doesn't function for everyone. It functions for the one percent, and everyone will have heard about the one percent, the elites, the rise of populism as a reaction to to against that. And it's all to do with money. It's all to do with who controls the money. Uh, and, and how it is dispersed throughout society. So what uh, crypto and um, blockchain technology uh, have the potential to do is to decentralize that. So it's to bring money back out in the hands of the people. And that is, to me, a really uh, powerful step forward for you know society and, and humanity, because what we're doing is taking control um, not only of money, and if you think of what money it is, it's really just a reward for your output. And whether that's output is, is you know, human capital, intellectual capital, physical labor, whatever it might be, you're getting a just reward for your, for your efforts. Whereas under a fiat currency standard, you're not getting a just reward for your efforts. Some people are rewarded absurdly for their efforts and some people aren't rewarded at all. And, and that creates a, an unfair society. It creates... Uh, greed it creates divisions it creates envy uh and it, and it you know it leads to all sorts of problems and i think you know it's fair to say that we've seen a lot of those problems manifest over the past five to ten years or, or how, however long you know you could probably even go back further um so th the core of understanding this is that it it provide gives the potential for money to be de decentralized and that's why we're seeing all these tokens pop up and all these different uh, forms of money. So from the outside looking in, you might just think, oh, this is one big speculative bubble. It's a big game. And, you know, absolutely there are some of those things that aren't going to survive, but there are others that will survive and survive very well. Um, so I think people need to sort of look at it from, from that gr ground level and that foundation, and then everything becomes a little bit a little bit clearer. As I said, if you're only looking at these cryptos from the point of view of how much they're moving around each day and what the volatility is, you're missing the bigger picture. You're missing what the underlying value proposition is is for them. And um, it's they're just not a price of something. The, the price is a reflection of the underlying value of those. Ryan can probably expand on this, but what the protocols are uh, and the problems, the real world problems that they're solving uh, in, in the financial system. And just one other point to make on this, it's sort of a related point, is that in our financial system, there are a, a whole bunch of actors in place that fulfill the function of trust in, in uh, the way that money moves throughout the system. So, you know, a, a bank is like a, a money creator and, and also an intermediary. It takes your savings and it holds them because you trust the bank to do the right thing with them. Um, brokers, middlemen, all those sorts of roles are effectively a trust-based role. 
What cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology do is it makes that role in effect redundant because the way that these protocols are, are built and the distributed nature of them where they're not looked after by one central party means that the trust aspect is looked after by everyone, not just one person. So what that does is, is it creates redundancy in the traditional role of the financial middleman and it also creates value for everyone else who uses that uh, technology. So as I said, I'm learning about this. Ryan knows it a lot more than myself, but they're some of the, the foundations of understanding that if you that if you sort of get your head around that and see the bigger picture and the underlying technology rather than just the price, uh, that's when it becomes a lot more interesting and you can get pretty excited about it. Should we give you the last word here, Ryan? I mean, because oh. everyone trusts the bank, no one likes them. Yeah, Explain that to me and then, and then, I mean, if you could just have a final word about maybe decentralized finance or yeah. the fact that, you know, we've had these banks as middlemen for so long and they're trusted but not liked. What, what happens when you have a system where it's both trusted and liked, for example? Yeah, so, so that's the interesting part. And Greg, you explained that very well. So obviously I've explained some stuff quite well to you. <laughs> but you've explained the, the concept. Beautifully. The whole banking and finance system, which is, you know, it's, it's hundreds of billions of dollars flowing through it every day. It wasn't designed that way because that was the best way of having a financial system. It was designed that way because that was the only way you could have a financial system. So you're coming from the time of, you know, the 13th century city-state banks of Italy in Venice and Florence where they invented a debit credit system where you needed a trusted middleman to say who owned what and when. And if they made a payment, they kept it on the ledger. And that was the only way you could get people to trade. It actually facilitated trade because as long as businesses and, and, and individuals trusted that, that bank in the middle, then it would facilitate um, you know, credit, it would facilitate um, commerce, and it was better than the old way of having to barter or physically deliver gold coins. So it was an improvement on the, the system that came before that. Um, but it wasn't designed as this is the best system. It was said, well, these, these trusted middlemen can make things better, so let's use them. And that was the case until 2008, 2009, when Satoshi Nakamoto came up with a, a new system, which was actually solving a maths problem. So people don't, maybe don't understand that cryptocurrencies aren't created out of thin air. They're actually solving a maths problem. So to me, it's as important as when Einstein discovered E equals MC squared. You know, that was a maths problem. He found something that was true. And then since then, that has you know led to a lot of developments. Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper on Bitcoin and blockchain technology said, here's a system where you can transfer value from one person to the other without having to go through a middleman, and yet we can mathematically prove that that transaction is true and correct. So it's it's basically taking away the need for that trusted middleman. As, as Greg explained, that the distributed ledger nature of it means you don't need to trust any one person. And it's not just it's not just one equation, it's actually a whole system. And the system involves having a unit of account, which is Bitcoin, and that unit of account fulfills a purpose within that system because it incentivizes people to keep the system secure. So a lot of uh, what a lot of people don't understand about so the Bitcoin price goes up, that's not meaningless. That actually makes the, the Bitcoin blockchain a more secure system. So there's this this um, feedback loop between mm. price and a secure uh, network where you don't need to trust anyone. And so 
if Bitcoin gets to say $500,000 or a million dollars per Bitcoin, that's not just um, um, valueless um, um, figure picked out that does nothing. That actually makes Bitcoin almost impossible for anyone in the world to ever hack. It's probably pretty much almost impossible already. But the more that figure goes up, the... the, the um, I wasn't getting the quantum computers yeah, just yet. Right. That's another one. That's another one. But, quantum locking. Yeah, yeah. But that's an important thing to, 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 to get people to understand. And I, I know Greg had a, a aha moment. And it can almost sound mundane, you know, or what, you take away the middleman. Because the, the, even the term middleman sounds boring. But when you realize the implications of that, okay, you no longer need a bank. You can save directly and, and lend to people that need the money directly. Well, that, that changes everything. You, you can... Uh, pool insurance without needing an insurer to, to do it. Um, you can create new types of organization which are not proprietary limited corporations, but they're decentralized autonomous organizations where you have, might have a governance role or some other role and you can share the benefits of it. So one of the first thing that crypto basically disrupted was venture capital. Mm. And of course, a lot of the, the cryptocurrency projects that sprang up in 2017 and uh, were, were scams and went nowhere. But the idea that, you know, only a certain class of person should be, be able to uh, invest in Facebook in 2005 or whenever it sprung up because they're sophisticated. That, uh, I'm completely against that. I think people should be free to invest their money in ideas and share the benefit of them. And of course that comes with risks and you have to be cognizant of it. But, you know, we let people uh, invest in sport, gamble on sports. We let people gamble on pokies. It's, yep. Who decides how you should um, invest your money or risk your money? I think you have to have some individual ownership of that and that's not to say i condone any scams i work very hard to alert people to the risks of cryptocurrencies and to to make sure they don't get exposed to any of that stuff which which is rife um but behind that the the you need to understand that there is a real technological breakthrough and from that seed of that breakthrough that happened almost 12 years ago we're starting to see this whole ecosystem of decentralized finance spring up and Venture capital companies are now investing in a big way. They have for the past two years. We're now starting to see um, ETFs. There's a new, there's three new Ethereum ETFs in Canada. There's a Bitcoin ETF uh, in Europe. America's got, I think, 10 or 11 Bitcoin ETFs ready for approval. I'm, pr- I'm fairly certain they're going to start getting approved. Um, the old school money that, that had, you know, um, said crypto was a scam for so long, they're all jumping on board now because they've had their own aha moment where they fought pretty hard to keep the old system going because they they stood to benefit from it. But they've realized that just like the internet, this is a technology. It's not not just something where values plucked from thin air. It's a technology and it's a technology that makes things more efficient and makes things better and also, um, you know, creates new opportunities that didn't even exist before. So I think everyone, even if you're a skeptic, you should try and look at this through the lens of, and this is what we're going to try and do in the service. What is money and why is it changing? And why is the old system in trouble? What could it change to? And where does cryptocurrencies fit in that change? And that's, if you if you can work that out before the next person, then you're, you're in a very advantageous position. So, Can I have the last word here, guys? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I think there's an underlying story here about freedom. Yep. Uh, it is a trust machine that can vastly increase efficiency. And if you're not under this story soon, you're going to hear more headlines about it and you're going to wish you'd heard about these things before, which is why the services are out. So thank you very much, Greg and Ryan, for spending a bit of time with me today. I hope the listeners at home enjoyed this conversation. 
And by all means, get in touch, subscribe, like the content, and uh, you'll hear from us soon. No worries, Lockie. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Greg. Cheers, Lockie. See you, Ryan. (laughs) 